the message today, I'm titling it Relational Oneness. And so I want you to keep this in mind because I want to do like a 33,000 foot above the Bible view and just kind of look at Genesis to Revelation. I kind of want to take just a real big overview and grant me that liberty and you'll see where I'm going. But I want to talk to you about relational oneness and God's eternal purpose. What was in the heart of God for creating us in the first place? You know, why did he do this? What was he after? Um, did he create us to get something out of us? Did he create us to give us something? I think it's the latter rather than uh, the former. So I'd like to draw your attention to a few verses. We'll probably look at five verses here. I'll pray, and then I'll have us all turn to Ephesians, and we'll, we'll, read, some, we'll read some sections of Ephesians to really kind of get a flow and, and a heartbeat of what the Apostle Paul was really trying to communicate, I believe, to most churches, if he wasn't putting out fires and stuff like that. He really kind of revealed just the um the zenith of his heart the the is it the apex the top the very higher place the plane that that it's above where he really labors and he he communicates his through prayer to them this is what i want you to know but kind of looking at some verses we'll turn to first corinthians six seventeen. it'll be up on the screen first corinthians six seventeen. But he or she who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Talking about relational oneness. In the context, he's saying if you join yourself to a, a harlot, you join Christ to that harlot. Right? This is the context he's dealing with in the, with the Corinthians. But our takeaway can be now that we have accepted Christ and Christ has no doubt accepted us, we're accepted in the beloved we have this operational relational oneness we're united we're in the koinonia which is the same word in the greek for um, fellowship and communion we are in that and so whoever has joined themselves to the lord the lord has joined himself to you in fact that was his high priestly prayer in john 17 that we would be one as he and the father are one and so this is maybe not realized, maybe it's not recognized, um, maybe it's not practiced or perceived, but if you are joined to the Lord, you are one with him and you have a relationship with him. First Corinthians 12 also plays this out and this would be kind of a chapter given to the whole concept of body life. But for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. And this is the mystery that Paul is going to talk about. About He says, I speak to you about this mystery, which is Christ and the church. But the mystery is that both Jews and Gentiles, slaves or free, have all been made to drink into one spirit. And so as we look at operational oneness, as we look at communal oneness, uh, cultural oneness, as all these barriers break down when we receive Christ, he's really driving towards this thought of marriage as the ultimate picture of God's eternal purpose. 
Look at uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. And so, though we might have differences, no one's better. We're all equal in Christ. We're all one in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, playing off the word one here, it's all over. And I'm just picking a few verses. You could look at many, many others. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So you see this relational oneness uh, being played out. And the last verse I want to look at before we turn, before we pray, and then we'll turn to Ephesians. I want to look at this verse, um, 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus, right? The Word became flesh. And the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. So from eternity past, there was God, the Holy Spirit, and the Father, and they were one, and that triune, that triunified relationship they had, when you get saved, you enter into that eternal, dynamic love relationship found within the family of God, right? So we entered into that, and we entered into it by faith. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll all turn to Ephesians. Heavenly Father, I come before you again, humbly actually, and you know my heart. Uh, I just pray that this, these truths about your eternal purpose and your desire um, for relational oneness would be communicated clearly. And Lord, you'd fill in the blanks, connect the dots, um, make things known that weren't previously known. Um, yeah, open the doors, I guess. Um, give us the hearts and eyes of enlightenment that you would just uh, just open these things so we could see truths and know you more. And, and as a result, maybe love you more and want to share your life more, not only experience it, but to share it with others. Uh, and Lord, I just pray for marriages in this uh, room, too. I just pray that you would strengthen our marriages and that today would be a day that we would maybe just look at just this awesome design and this your heart for just relational oneness as displayed and, and depicted in marriage um, and then also depicted between you and your church, which everyone here is a part of. And so, Lord, I just pray um, you'd be glorified in everything that's said, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. It will not be up on the screen. It'll look in your device, um, your Bible. If you have a scroll or a parchment, uh, roll it out. Take some space. Um, if you have to read from the left or the right, depending on which language, that's totally fine. But 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Wherefore remember that you, being in times past Gentiles, according to the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, so you were not a Jew, considered by the Jews, um, that at that time you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are, are now made nigh and near and close by the blood of Christ. I love verse 14. He is our peace. He doesn't just give us peace and back away. He is our peace. And he's made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition that separated us, that kept us out of this relational oneness. He tore it down from the top to the bottom and giving us access into the Holy of Holies and to the presence of um, God, having abolished in his body the, the enmity, even the law of con commandments contained in ordinances, for to make of himself two, one a new creation, so making peace. So there was this separation there was this distance from uh, us and God. There was sin that gave us death and it gave us distance. And then he took the sin and nailed it to the cross, becoming sin on our behalf. And then he ripped the veil in half. Um, and then he gave us an opportunity to, to come near uh, to God and to be restored in a, in a relational oneness and to be reconciled and redeemed because it was all in his heart. Uh, to have that all along. And see, that's not just a personal thing. That's something that he had in his heart way before time began. He knew it when he created Adam and Eve, that marriage. He knew it that he was going to have to come as the last Adam and to have another uh, marriage and to pull the bride out of, um, you know, the where we were as basically harlots and sinners and just despising God is more of a picture of, of we were Gomer and he's Hosea buying us out of the slave market. And so he came because he loved and he loved and he loved and he wanted to bring us back. And he's using marriage as this great mystery. He started it and he picked it up again and he's going to sustain it because it was in his heart. Look at this. And verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to them that were nigh. Uh, but for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Access not denied, access granted. Verse 19, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and of the house or the family of God. You're in the family. Verse 20, and you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building is fitly framed together and grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. So he wants a, he wants a home for his family and, and he's building it and we are it in whom you are also built together for a habitation of God through the spirit. Okay, are you, are you trekking with this? See, what I have a tendency to do when we're going through Galatians is I'll stop on one verse and I'll take 45 minutes on a word or a verse. This is much different. 
this is we're getting we're getting some things in context here we're getting the flow we're getting we're going to the heartbeat of what you know you, when you read a letter you could just read a like a sentence and stop but this is i want you to see where he's going see in chapters one two and three of this letter to the ephesians he's giving them his heart this is his prayer if you look at chapter one in fact he's like uh, verse 17 that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of jesus that your eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you may know what the hope of his calling is so he's revealing his heartbeat he's saying i'm praying that you get this right he wants you to get this he wants me to get this well, what is it you want us to get paul and so he goes on to say or holy spirit through paul verse chapter 3 verse 1 for this cause i paul i'm the prisoner of jesus christ for you gentiles so he's putting his life on the line that's why he says i die daily he's like why do i do this if the, the resurrection's not true uh, he says if you have heard the dispensation of the grace of god which is given to me to you how that by revelation he made known unto me this mystery as I wrote afore with a few words, whereby when you read it, that you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in the other ages uh, was not made known uh, to the sons of men, but it's now revealed unto his holy apostles and his prophets by the Spirit. Here it is. It's no longer a mystery. He's going to reveal it. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. This this concept of Jews and Gentiles and male and female, the bond and free and, um, you know, it doesn't matter. It's a whosoever will because God's not willing that any should perish, but that would all come into this relational oneness. He wants us. And so verse seven, he says, wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am the less than the least of all the saints because remember he used to persecute christians and now he's going out to the gentiles and trying to see them saved and he's weeping for the jews because he wants them saved and um he says that i should preach among the gentiles the unsearchable riches of christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of this mystery which from the beginning of the world had been hidden god who created all things by jesus christ and what was in the beginning of the world by the way remember in the beginning what did he do in genesis chapter 2 created us and why did he create us so he's he's tapping into this whole idea that god created us for a purpose there's there's a reason why he did it we're not left to random chance and we're not just floating on a ball of dirt um, that, that has no purpose to uh, its existence. And then he says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, this might be made known to the church, the manifold wisdom of God. So is it just exclusive to the pastor or to the professor who knows Greek? It's not. He's saying that the church's eyes would be opened, that your understanding would be enlightened. These are Bible words, that he would give you revelation. That's in the Bible, right? 
so that you might know these things that are given to you, might know your inheritance, you might know your relationship uh, to Christ. And by the way, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he's not talking about anything about being a parent, being an employee. That comes later. Lest you think that being a good dad and a mom and a husband and wife makes you accepted. He's like, no, no, you're already accepted. Therefore, go be a good husband and a good dad and a good mom and a good worker because these things are true, right? So don't get the cart before the horse. And so he says this um, in verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's this mystery from the beginning that was lost and now in the ages in the past it wasn't known but now somehow it's made known and now somehow we're supposed to know it and somehow this is the eternal purpose it's the big deal right i used to think apologetics was the big deal <laughs> right just argue people you know argue them into the kingdom by convincing them that evolution's not true and creation is right I used to think after I grew out of that, uh, which I'm not saying you do, don't get me wrong, I used to think doctrine was the big deal, like being doctrinally correct about everything. My eschatology, squeaky clean. You know, ask me, go ahead, debate me on the Trinity. My soteriology, tight. Um, you know, uh, all of it, <clears throat> um, as my kids would say, sick. You know, my doctrine was sick, uh, not in a bad way. <laughs> um, but what I'd like you to do, though, is to look with me in chapter five, because of what I think God's doing is he's trying to reveal some weighty, some meat. You know, he's trying to give us some of the, the bigger things of his heart. He's kind of you could settle for lesser things. Like Adam and I had a great conversation going to get a burrito last night. He was talking to me about good and evil. Um, and a little bit about that verse, you know, why, call, why do you call me good from Sunday school? But he was talking to me about good and evil. And I said, Adam, I just learned this a couple months ago. But trying to figure out good and evil is tempting, but it's less than what God really wants. It's not about knowing good and it's not about knowing evil. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing God. You see how distracted the whole world is on knowing good and knowing wrong? What's right? What's wrong? What's good? What's evil? They build religions. They kill people over it. But that's less than knowing God. Knowing God is way better than knowing good and evil. Okay? Anyways, um, so what I'd like to do is have you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, staying in kind of the flow. Incidentally, chapter 4 is, all right, you have struggles with your, your truth saying? Speak the truth. Quit lying. You have a potty mouth? Quit doing that. You know, edify. Um, you steal? Well, quit doing that. Go get a job, right? So he gets to these things that are very practical. Um, and so don't think that the Bible doesn't address those things. Yeah, he, he, the Bible does, but he wants you to know your identity before you, you get your activity. But look at chapter 5, because I think this will be familiar to a lot of people um, in the context of marriage. And so 
here's really where he, he gets to the heart of it all and where we'll go to the beginning of it all and we'll figure out why God even did all this to begin with. Verse 21, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. And this is not a, this is not a naughty word. Um, husbands are to submit to their wives and wives are to submit to their husbands. And if you look at the end of the chapter in verse 33, it says, so a wife must respect her husband and the husband must love his wife. And so submission is not like submitting to a set of rules that one another would give each other. I think it's the context of, hey, God is calling a wife to respect her husband. So you submit to that thing that the Lord has given you to do doesn't mean that you submit to your whatever your husband says to you and equally husband you submit to what the lord's given you and that is to sacrificially love your wife as christ demonstrated his love for the church so you submit to that right and wife you submit to what god tells you to do which is to respect your husband well you know this is going to open up a whole can of worms what if he's not respectable well you're doing it as unto the lord you're doing this as unto the lord not that your husband deserves it husband you love your wife what if she's hard to love and she's unlovable you do it as unto the lord that's submitting unto the lord right so i don't want you to get confused on that and we could visit that later that's not the that's not the purpose of the message here but i know it's a hot topic it's a buzzword i just wanted to give you that side note Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands um, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let their wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Like, I would die for my wife. You know, that's not a hard thing for me to say. I would really, I would just die for my, my wife and my kids. And this is a sacrificial thing. I think it's kind of wired into men. But he's saying, you know, husbands love your wives. In Colossians, he says, husbands love your wives and don't be bitter uh, towards them. And so this whole love aspect is given to the man. Husbands love your wives, and here's the model of it. Your submission is going to be that the same way Christ modeled his love towards the church is the same way you're to love your wife. And look, is it hard for a wife to respect a husband when he loves her the way Christ loved the church? I don't think so. How hard? What? You don't respect Christ? You know, <laughs> if you're acting like Christ in his love to your wife, do you think it's hard for her to submit in the area of, well, I'll, I'll respect you. Okay, let's do this together. All right. right. I don't think it's a hard thing uh, when a woman knows that she's loved the way Christ loves the church. I don't think any of this stuff is hard. But I think, husbands, you've got to take the lead on this. You've got to just, you've got to love the way Christ loves, right? And that's, that's not just a difficult thing. That's, uh, you can't do it without Christ. He'll do it through you. So, um, and look, he kind of gets he kind of gets real practical uh, that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Verse 27, that he may present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. And he has, in fact, done that for us as male and female. We're all in the church and that's his bride. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. 
He that loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever yet hates his own self, but he nourishes himself and cherishes himself, even as the Lord does the church. So he's kind of correcting self-love here. Hey, husband, you got that hobby and all of that money towards what you're really into? How about that same care that you put into your interests and likes that you put into your wife, right? Because no one ever hates their own self. You're going to, dudes are going to take care of themselves, right? They're going to do a lot of that stuff, get what they want, pay for things that they want. But what he's trying to say is, with the same amount of love that you have towards yourself is equally the same amount of love you're to have towards uh, your wife. And look, for a wife to see that you love her that way as much as you love yourself, it actually goes beyond loving her the same way you love yourself. It would almost look Jesus-like to sacrifice the things that you would normally do for yourself and you would defer and, and you would do it as, instead under your wife. That's more of the Jesus style, right? You guys with me on this or did I already lose you? <laughs> I said it wasn't easy, right? <laughs> Marriage is a great discipleship program, right? <laughs> um, so... He says, uh, for no one ever hates his own self, but you nourish yourself and cherish yourself. And every guy in here doesn't have a problem with that, right? You're, you're doing pretty good taking care of you, right? So, and then he says this, for we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Now, Paul's referring directly to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, where Adam, um, where Eve was pulled out of the very side of uh, Adam and he says she has become flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined in his wife and wait for it and the two shall become one operational relational oneness God had it in his heart for them to do life together be life together he said it's not good for a man to be alone. Now, you might struggle with that, and you might say, yeah, but he had God. Okay, um, but think about it in this way. God's, he's a one-directional lover, and he's unconditional in that. His doing is based on his being. God is love, the Bible says. He will always love, and he was going to love Adam, love Adam, love Adam, well, he did, well, did God stop loving him when he sinned? Nope. God loved, 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 loved. So Adam was this recipient of love, and then he could give love back and return to God. But I think there's something interesting that God's doing here because he wants love to be in the context of relational oneness. And he's had it in the Trinity, in the family of God. They've always perfectly loved, always and so he's giving Adam now, you could receive this love. Um, you're gonna, he's going to receive it anyways. And, and you could then return it back to the original lover, which is God. And then you could experience relationship that way. See, love is like a love triangle. You know, First part of it is you have the original source, the lover. The second part of it is you have the beloved, the object or the receiver of the love. And the third part is you have the return back of, from that love back to the original lover, right? We love him because he first loved us. You have this triangle going on uh, to where you're receiving it, 
you're choosing then to return it back and then you have this give and take in this relationship right but adam was always the receiver he was never the initiator he was never the source of love so god i think hooked him up and he said i'm going to give you someone more beautiful than yourself obviously right and you're going to have an opportunity to um, be the source and to originate love and have it give poured out into this object the recipient of the love and then that person then could choose to return the love back but now he could use this this picture from god's love to him he could now emulate that and experience that because god always wanted that do you see the eternal purpose of god is in relational oneness sin came along and busted that whole thing up right and now we're just trying to get back to figure out how to be reconciled and returned and restored and to get the pieces back together so paul says i pray that your eyes will be open to this this is what i'm dialed into my prayer for you is that you'd figure it out too right because this was god's eternal purpose and so he's now he's using marriage as this the the I, the pinnacle of illustrations of god's desire for this operational relational oneness and so he says for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife and they too shall become one this is a great mystery but i speak concerning christ and the church nevertheless let every one of you so particular love his wife even as yourself and see that the wife respect her husband love and respect we're going to get we're going to get to that later as it's really practical but i want you to see that in genesis chapter 1 and 2 in the beginning we're taking that 33,000 foot above sea level um, view right you look down at genesis chapter 1 and 2 there's no sin but there's marriage and there's union because there's adam and eve it's the first marriage right god puts adam to sleep pulls out of his side some someone and something more beautiful than himself he's blue she's pink together they're purple symbol of royalty right reflecting the image of god i think you need both colors i don't think god's a male and i don't think god's a female in the bible he takes more of a masculine role but he also takes a feminine role have you ever read the bible where it talks about god as gathering as a hen uh, does under her wings so i gathered you under my wings so he's he knows about moms he knows about wives he created them he knows about dudes he created those too so he created a blue dude and a pink gal <laughs> dudette and then them together because they became one became purple to reflect the image of god in an accurate way i you know recently i'm learning like because my wife and i are one no one hates their own self and so if we're one and my wife the other day we had this conversation about um about a certain people group and she was coming out really strong in defense and intolerance and taking a view that i wouldn't have i've been more kind of like hardline and like oh, whatever you know uh, but she was being more compassionate and i thought you know what if i hate that this 
if I hate what's going on here, that's like saying I, I hate my own self. I chose her. And though her view is not my view, it kind of, we're one. And I'm learning this whole relational oneness in the sense like, that's a different voice, but it's my voice. I chose her. I'm united to her and she chose me. And so we've got differences and stuff like that. We work it out, but man, I don't, to say that I hate that is to say that I hate my own flesh and no man hates his own flesh. And so this extension of you that's not you, but because you're one in marriage, as you reflect the heart of God and you reflect the image of God, that's in fact what she was doing. I don't have the whole image of God. I'm just the blue part. And she was coming along with the pink part. And I'm like, well, that's not the way I would have thought about it, but I guess you're right, right? So we were figuring, we are like glorifying God in and through um, our relational oneness. So in Genesis 1 and 2, there's no sin, but there's marriage and a union. You know what? At the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, guess what? These are the only two chapters in the beginning and the two chapters at the end that have no sin. And guess what? They both have marriage. Sin has been removed, right? Christ has been united to his church, the bride. That's revelation at the end. And then in the beginning, uh, you know, Adam and Eve. But Jesus is called the last Adam. And the new Eve is the church. And so you have, and you ever go to KFC, you guys? Um, this was pre-vegan days for me. But did you ever go to KFC and get the double down? Anyone heard of it? Okay. Because you know, in normal sandwiches, you take a piece of bread, you take a piece of bread and you put the meat in the middle, you know, here's a sandwich. Well, KFC was so stinking smart. They're like, let's get rid of the bread. And we'll do a chicken breast instead of bread and a chicken breast instead of bread. And we'll put ham and cheese in the middle. So the bread, <laughs> the bread was two chicken pieces. And I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. It was called the double down. Doesn't that sound rad? Well, I think that's what God's doing in this sense. This is the double down. They're not bread on the end. It's meat in chapters one and two, and the first two chapters, meat at the last two chapters, and the rest of the Bible, in my view, is the bread. They're just kind of like, you know, God's giving pictures here and shadows there, and, but the eternal purpose of God you see in the beginning and you see at the end. Double down, baby. Double down. Hey, even if they don't make it, you could go to KFC and you could request it and they'll still give it to you. Just a suggestion for after church. <laughs> okay. Um, so what I'd like to do now is that the introductory part was, was long, I get it, and we're going to wrap it up here. But I'd like to take you through some examples in the Bible as we look at the bread, you know, the filler stuff. <laughs> um, Adam and Eve, okay, we, we looked at that. Um, but I want to draw your attention to like three significant marriages after that that have a tremendous impact on the human race as we know it. The first couple I'd like to visit is Abraham and Sarah. Now, in the context of these marriages, I want you to think particularly about the wife, the bride, because the church, us, is the bride. And if you think about in the context of pictures and types, think about this. They're an older couple. What would you call them? Seasoned saints, right? Um, past childbearing age, 
And then God does something miraculous to the bride. He gives her a restored ability to have children. And get this, I forget the guy in the Bible. Remember Abraham's traveling and then someone wants to take his wife? She's in her like late 80s, 90s, right? She's such a hottie that this guy's like, oh yeah, you're getting in my harem, right? You know what that indicates to me? Like, not just the insides were fixed up in Sarah, like her womb was all, you know, I don't want to be anatomically incorrect or crass or inappropriate, but the insides were not. So God didn't just hook up her insides as though, you know, she had a hysterectomy and then it gave her all the stuff back. I just call all the junk back, right? Didn't remove the junk, put the junk back. So it wasn't just internally fixed. Something happened to her externally too. This bride, this wife was restored to beauty, to fruitfulness, to life. Because God hooked her up, right? Hooked up Abraham too, apparently, right? <laughs> so I want you to see that because that's exactly what God does to us as well. You know, he has, he's restored us. He's given us life and we could go out and give birth as we share the good news of the gospel and others could be born again and placed into the family of God because all are welcome. Next marriage I want you to see is um, Isaac or Abraham and then there's Isaac. Um, this is an interesting one because Abraham sends out his servant. Remember, he says, go back to my kin, uh, my kin, and um, go back, and I want you to get a wife uh, for my son Isaac. But remember, she had to be willing. It wasn't like, hey, go, go, go purchase one and force him to come back. She had to be willing. And I think it's interesting that this servant goes, he hangs out. There's a theme here that I'd like to develop sometime. But if, you, if you're a single person, go find a well somewhere and hang out at a well. Because evidently that's where you pick up all the ladies, right? So <laughs> he goes there and he's at this well, and sure enough, they're diligent, they're doing their, you know, their chores and everything like that. Um, but he sees Rebecca, and she has just great character, and you could read about her. I think it's in Genesis uh, 25, <clears throat> and um, he approaches her, and um, he tells the story of Isaac she falls in love with Isaac in faith not seeing him but believing that she's going to be joined to him in the future together forever just on his character and testimony of this servant who went to serve the father what that's the Trinity right there. Do you, see, do you see what I'm getting at? Abraham sends the servant who doesn't speak of himself. He only speaks of the son. And she, hearing about the son who she's never seen, agrees to go and get married to this guy. And she falls in love with him just by based on what she's heard about him. It wasn't a physical thing. It was merely like it was a spiritual thing. She was, she was attracted to his character, right? She's like, I want to be with that guy for life. And so 
Uh, you know that story. And then Isaac has a son, uh, Jacob. And I like this marriage because, again, at a well, single people, take note, find some wells around here where there's some sheep, okay? Um, but Jacob, now he's going to find a wife. The other scenario was different with Isaac and Rebekah, but Jacob goes out and he comes to this well, um, actually where kind of Laban's connected to this, which is his uncle. Uh, but long story short, he comes and he sees Rachel at a well and he, he immediately falls in love with her, right? This might be love at first sight. And you know the story to where she's beautiful and she has a sister, not so beautiful. Um, <laughs> something with the eyes, I don't know what it is, but you know, maybe she needed Botox, I don't know. Um, but he falls in love with Rachel and he has to serve. And he agrees to this. He's like, Laban says, hey, you're, you're my kin. Um, you don't, I don't expect you to work for free. Uh, you tell me. And he gives the terms. He says, I'll work for you for seven years if I can have Rachel. He saw Rachel and he went up to her immediately and kissed her. Right? Kids, I mean, that was a greeting. All right? Those six-inch rules going on out here. Come on. But he, like, he just was magnetic attraction to Rachel. And he's like, okay, seven years, boom, done deal. Um, you know, I want to marry her. And you know the story. Um, but seven years are up. And it, the Bible says that it seemed to Jacob just like a few days. Isn't that cool? He's like, I love her so much. It seemed like a few days. Just, yeah. And then he gets juked by labor. <laughs> I guess he liked the labor. Um, he's like, no, actually, we have a custom around here. Mm, it's uh we're not supposed to give the younger, hotter one. Uh, what's the older, lame one first? Um, and so um, he pulls a fast one, and Jacob's like, okay, whatever. Um, I still love Rachel. I'll do another seven years. And it went, it just time flew. You ever been married so long? Like Jen and I are, and I know we seem like newlyweds to some of you guys. Sorry, we just started. Um, <laughs> but 20 years? I'm like, babe, where did the time go, man? This just seems like a few days, right? So, um, and, you know, I could go on with other stories. There's uh, the Proverbs 31 woman, wife scenario. She's loved, she's cherished, she's trusted. And then my whole take on the Song of Solomon, um, which is really like the romance of all ages. And you see this, where, where Solomon is a one-woman man, and that book definitely speaks of the intimacy between Christ and the church. And when he was connected to this one-woman uh, scenario, I feel like she dies, because you don't read about her after Second Chronicles. I forget which chapter. I think it's in the 20s or something like that. We lose track of the Shulamite woman. And I think because he was so in love with her, as you read the book, that he went out to find wine, women, and song to fill that void. That's why he freaks out. He was so in love with this woman that when she's gone, he doesn't know what to do. And he has all the money and the power and everything. And so it's why when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's so depressing because he lost the love of his life. 
that should go Song of Solomon Ecclesiastes, in my opinion. <clears throat> but then you come to Jesus, and God, this love story too is, is the love story of love stories, where he leaves heaven and God is basically going to hook up his son Jesus with a bride. I don't know if that's the right language, but you know, hopefully you know what spirit and the way I mean it. And it's, he's almost saying it's not good for you to be alone. Um, they're in perfect love. They're in the family. But Jesus is going to pull this creation that was fallen and separated. And he's going to marry and join us so that now we could be into that love relationship and he's going to love and love and love us even when we don't love him in return he's going to win us by his love because he is the perfect unending unconditional lover and he just wants us into that relationship that relational oneness he wants us to experience that love and hopefully by our free will express that love and return it back to the original lover so what God did is he put Jesus in the deepest sleep of all, which was the death on a cross. Just as he did Adam. And so the last Adam, the redeemer, the restorer of mankind to God, Jesus was pierced in his side, and I've mentioned this before, but out of his side, just like out of Adam's side came forth this woman out of Jesus' side came forth blood to forgive, but there was also water to cleanse and to give us new life. So out of his side came this new Eve, you might say, from the last Adam, and it was this church that he wanted from eternity past. Are you with me? So marriage is a big deal because it illustrates the heart of God. Right? So, I want to revisit Ephesians um, um, uh, 5.30. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. I just have a few moments left, and I just want to spend it um, wisely, but in, in a little bit more of a rapid pace. Let's take a journey real quick through John. This will be quick. John chapters 1 and 2. John chapter 1 is very similar to Genesis chapter 1. I think you guys have caught that before. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. You know, in the beginning, God created. And so you have the, the two parallel here. But chapter 2, you have a wedding where you have, where you have Adam and Eve. But I think it's interesting in John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding. I think that's interesting. You know, he goes to a wedding. And remember, they ran out of wine. And so, you know, Jesus is approached and Mary, uh, you know, chimes in. And says, whatever he says to do, do it. Remember she says that about Jesus? And I think it's cool because Jesus knows about weddings. Evidently, he could officiate. He's created them. He knows about them. And like, whatever he says about this whole thing, do it, right? And so his first miracle, I think it's very interesting, is at a wedding. Very into marriage. Because he, this is the mystery 
that he started way back in the beginning and he's he's doing it at the cross and he's still all about that but then you come to john chapter 3 and john the baptist is being approached hey jesus is making more disciples than you are and he chimes in to look up on the screen here in john chapter 3 verse 27 and i'm using the message translation it's a paraphrase actually john answered it's not possible for a person to succeed i'm talking about eternal success without heaven's help in other words he says you can do nothing except it be given to you from above verse 28 you yourselves were there when i made it public that i was not the messiah but simply the one sent uh, ahead of him to get things ready the one who gets the bride is by definition the bridegroom and the bridegroom's friend is his best man that's me <laughs> i like that i like the way this paraphrase puts it in place at his side where he, can, where he can hear every word and is genuinely happy. How could he be jealous when he knows that the wedding is finished and the marriage is off to a good start? That's why my cup is running over. So remember John said, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. He says that after that. But he's, he's given the illustration here. He's like, look, I'm just the best man. I'm not getting jealous that Jesus, more people are following Jesus because remember John had the, the, his ministry going on. He's like, actually, he's, he's the big deal. And the believers that are joining him is the bridegroom. He even knew about something about this mystery that people were like, huh, I don't get it. Huh, what, 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 what? He knew the marriage relationship, the eternal purpose, and the eternal desire of God. And then you come to John chapter 4, and I think this is really interesting because Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman at the well. She, a Samaritan, is made up of half Jew and half Gentile, which guess what the mystery of the church is? Jews and Gentiles. Interesting. It's the church makeup. She had failed marriages, and Jesus then offers her this new eternal relationship. And at, they are at the very, get this, they are at the very same well that Jacob was at when he fell in love with his wife. And it's called Jacob's well. You could even read it and, you know, it talks about it in the Bible. And so they're at the very same well where Jacob falls in love with um, Rachel. And out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. And out of that one tribe, I said it incorrectly before. I'm not going to say it incorrectly this time. The tribe of Judah. Jesus comes out of, right? So you have this awesome thing going on where now the one that came out of this lineage from Jacob meeting Rachel at this well now the Messiah is coming to that very same well I told you there's something about wells right and Jesus comes to her and they have this discussion and she's talking about physical water and then he's like no I, I want to give you water that if you drink you'll thirst no more i'm talking about the water of eternal life she's like give me this water you don't even have a cup or a you know the well's deep jacob our father you know she refers to a you know gave us this well um and so we're yeah what are you what what he's like well go go talk to your husband uh i don't have a husband she's like and jesus said you said correctly you had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. So that makes five plus one, how many? Six. And I don't want to centralize this, but Jesus, because 
In chapter 3, John said he's gathering his bride. He's the seventh man to show up to her, breaking all custom, all tradition, speaking to this half-breed, this adulteress, this fornicator, this sinner, this reject. He's coming to her like he comes to all of us, right? And he's saying, I'm going to give you water and a relationship to where you'll never thirst again, and it's everlasting, right? I think it's really cool because when you read the story, she leaves her pot and she runs to the city to tell everyone, and she leaves her pot. And I think the Bible puts that in there because she's no longer thinking about physical water. Now she's thinking about spiritual water, right? So um, let's skip. I had this whole point on how the world and the flesh and the devil want to attack your marriage because if you have a Christ-honoring, Christ-centered marriage, it will glorify this message, and the devil doesn't want that. I'm not going to take time to do that, but I would like to draw your attention. Uh, Michael, if you could skip ahead for me, please, buddy, and thank you for doing all of that back there. You guys are awesome. But Isaiah chapter 62. Yeah. Um, no more. I, I want you to see this, that God's eternally for you and is happy and rejoices over you. But it, the Bible says this, no more will anyone call you rejected and your country will no more be called ruined. Uh, you'll be called my delight and your land will be called Beulah land. You know the song Beulah land? There it is in the Bible. Um, it means married. Because God delights in you and your land will be like a wedding celebration. Okay? And in the Old Testament, God refers to Israel as his bride. Um, it's all over the Bible. And now he's talking about the land and that relationship. So, verse 5. For as a young man marries his virgin bride, so your builder marries you. And as a bridegroom is happy... And rejoices in his bride, so your God is happy and rejoices over you. I want you to just kind of marinate on that or say law on that for a little bit. In that God is happy with you and he rejoices over you. And I know some of you are like immediately saying, God's not happy with everything you do. I never said that. God, of course not, Right. He hates when we sin for what sin does to us. Of course he doesn't like that. He's not happy of the results of it, but he's happy with you, right? He loves you. He rejoices over you. Think about how often we're just, as the church, the bride, just all over the place. You know, we're, we're doing this. Just read the Bible. Read, read Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and look at how funky those churches were and look jesus loves you he rejoices over you and he wants you to experience all that he has to offer in this relational oneness that you're in you're in it it's just really up to us how we want to this side of you know heaven under the sun spend our days in this relationship so in conclusion Let's just look at these three thoughts. Can we now start to relax and enjoy being loved and believe that God is happily married and joined to us for all of time and eternity? 
important question, have we entered into that eternal relational oneness with Jesus Christ, which simply comes by faith alone in Christ alone? And lastly, do our marriages seem to be going in the direction of a reflection of Christ and his sacrificial selfless love for his bride, the church? And if so, your marriage will be under attack because the devil ain't like that. He ain't like a good marriage, right? He wants to wreck it. (laughs) Hey, and for you single people out there, or maybe you've had failed marriages, God can restore God could rebuild. He could reconcile. Um, there's, a, there's many examples that we could talk about in that. And for you single people, I will say this. God brought Eve to Adam, right? He was focused on God, and then God hooked him up. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Amen? So let's stand and let's be dis- dismissed in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great, awesome truth to me at least i thank you for um i guess directing me towards this so i could learn of this and lord i just pray for the church that we would in our marriages be strengthened and as a church body joined together as one and one with you that we collectively would uh, reflect um who you are that we would be great brides as we leave here uh, bringing honor and glory to your name Help us all to leave here as a Proverbs 31 person uh, that, that just, just that bring honor to your name. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.